Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course Podcast from the University of Minnesota. The podcast discusses the best practices and resources for selection and hiring and how and why you should build a consistent onboarding process for new employees. The podcast also features a panel discussion about one of the University of Minnesota school's challenges and successes in redesigning their orientation process. For more information on selection, hiring, and onboarding best practices and resources, visit supervising.umn.edu and explore Module 6 on onboarding and Module 7 on selection and hiring. Welcome, everyone. I'm Emily Tichich, and I'll be facilitating the webinar today. Okay, so here we have our poll. Before we jump into our content, let's see where you are in the process, the process of selection and hiring. In other words, what brings you to tune into this webinar today? By hearing from you, we can make sure we try to make the session as relevant as possible. So here on the slide, the question is, where are you in the process? And there are several choices here, and you can select all that apply. So A, I'm writing a position description. B, I'm starting the interview process. C, I'm selecting among the final candidates. D, I made an offer and I'm trying to put together an onboarding plan. E, I'm reviewing my materials so that I'm more prepared for the next time, and that could be um, selection and hiring materials or onboarding materials. Or F, maybe there's, you're at a different point in the process right now, and you can choose F and then type your ideas into chat. So for those of you that are just joining us, I'm Emily Tichich, and I'll be presenting the material today. I'm joined by Amanda Wolford, who is also with Leadership and Talent Development, and toward the second half of this webinar, we'll be joined by two of our colleagues, Molly Gage and Katie Biddinger, from the School of Dentistry to get some important perspectives on onboarding. While you're listening today, and of course for a more active learning experience, you can use the action sheet we provided for you in the reminder email or download it now, and you can do that by going to the link on the screen, z.umn.edu slash action sheet. The formatting works best if you open it in Microsoft Word. You can use it to follow along, jot down notes. Uh, this also, of course, becomes your takeaway to help reinforce learning, and it's also something you can reference both today and the future. So don't honestly, don't worry if you don't fill it out completely during the webinar. We'll point out opportunities for you to use the action sheet, but you can also look for the icon, and you see it there in front of you, on the slide, which will prompt you to use it. Great, so before we launch into the content, let's close the poll and let's see what all of you are saying. So where are you in the process? Oh, very interesting. It looks like many of you, 55% of you uh, chose E. So reviewing your materials so that you're more prepared for the next time. I'm actually really glad to hear that and I hope that the materials we present today and the way that we talk about the topics today helps you in reviewing the materials. I think this will be a good use of your time. Uh, I see many of you are starting the interview process. Great, that's a great time also to be thinking about onboarding. And then selecting among final candidates. Great, some of you are made an offer already or trying to put together a plan. That's awesome. So wherever you are in the process, I think there'll be many takeaways today from today's webinar that will be very helpful. Please note at this point that today's webinar is not a repeat of the ones we had previously. So if you joined us for the selection and hiring or the onboarding webinars, it's not a repeat, but instead we'll be highlighting some of the best practices and resources that are available to help you in your work. Also, we'll be addressing some of the feedback we've received since we launched the selection and hiring and onboarding modules. So we always want to hear from you about how, this, how these materials are helping you or what questions you have, and always trying, again, answering those questions today and then with future materials as well. So today's webinar will have three parts. We'll start off with smart hiring, and I'll be talking with you about that. 
Our second part will be successful onboarding, and Amanda joined us to talk with you about successful onboarding. The third part, Katie and Molly will join us for the onboarding and orientation panel, and of course the Q&A with time permitting. So let's dive in. Um, you know, of course, I've got this great statement list, uh, written here on the slide. Um, the ultimate goal of the selection and hiring process is to find a match between the position needs and the candidate's skills, right? I mean, all hiring managers or teams want to reach this goal, but we know there are some practices that work and some that don't work here. Let's take a look. So as I describe these, think about how you could implement any of these practices and jot down your ideas on the action sheet. So some practices that work include, first, you know, analyzing the needs of the department and position. Yeah, I think here it's very tempting to skip this step um, and just fill a role by recycling a previous job description. This step will definitely set you up for more success in finding the right candidate to meet the needs of the department in both the short term and the long term. So always remember to analyze the needs of the department and position. When you look, so second, when you look for skills that you want a candidate to have for the position, we know that it works to consider not only what skills they have now, but also what skills they'll need that they can train into. In other words, what skills does a candidate actually need for day one? And what skills are desirable, of course, but could be trained in once they're hired? This kind of analysis can help you widen your candidate pool to find the best candidate for the position. So next, something else that works is using behavioral questions in an interview. This can help you identify concrete skills and experience a candidate has, rather than just you know, speculating on how they think they would apply their skills to a situation or project. Uh, if you've joined us on webinars before or looked at our materials, you may be very familiar with the use of behavioral questions and what they look like. We'll talk more about these in just a minute. Something else that works in selection and hiring is acknowledging and addressing biases. This is crucial in the selection and hiring process. Um, for example, have you ever found yourself wanting to hire someone because they're a good fit? Or making assumptions about a candidate based on speculation instead of evidence? Uh, this, you're not alone if this is true. I mean, it's an easy trap to fall into, but it's a supervisor's responsibility to know how to get past these in order to make the best hiring decision. Finally, another thing that works is relying on data. This is wrapped up into all of these best practices. You know, like I said, asking for specific examples during the interview, basing decisions on evidence, and always working from data rather than speculation. Great, so hopefully none of these are, are new to you, but hopefully this is a good review. These describe some practices we know that work, but what doesn't work? On this slide, you see practices that don't work in selection and hiring. I should say practices that we know occur sometimes, but that don't work. We've heard about some of these already from the previous slide, and as I talk about these, take time to jot down notes on your action sheet about which of these practices you've experienced and your thoughts about how that might have impacted a hiring experience. So thinking both about which you've experienced and what the impact might have been. The most important don'ts of selection and hiring you see here in front of you. How the first one, we're using the same vacant description. Uh, next, focusing only on current needs. Third, requiring all of the skills on day one. Fourth, relying on the gut feeling for the best fit. And these four are review of the previous slide kind of the reverse of what does work. The fourth one, this is a new one, seeking hiring committee consensus. Seeking consensus among the hiring team is a great idea. That's what we want, really. But be careful, because in reality, if this is the focus, then you may be discouraging team members from voicing their true opinion about a candidate. 
and instead they may be opting for groupthink. In other words, they're just kind of going along with majority opinion. Everyone on the hiring team deserves to be heard. While this can take a little more time, it prevents making a decision based on a false consensus. So taking a little bit more time now will save time and have a better, have a better result later. The fifth one here, rushing to make a hiring decision or not feeling that you can start over. We know these are practices that don't work. We all want a successful hire as a result of the selection and hiring process, but again, remember a bad hire will end up costing more time, effort, and money than a renewed search. A renewed search is not necessarily always a failure in that it can still result in finding the best candidate. Every hiring manager or team puts a lot of time and effort into the selection and hiring process. Yes, we know this is very precious, but again, in this last stage of the process, it's vital you don't rush the decision. You spent all that time in the process, don't make the wrong decision at the end. Take an extra day or days and talk over the decision with a trusted colleague or with your team to make sure the final decision is the best one. Finally, something else that doesn't work is not addressing canned answers, or you probably know these as answers that sound too vague or hypothetical. Using behavioral questions in the interview is an effective way to avoid these, so let's talk about these in the next slide. Let's take a minute to review behavioral questions and why they're useful in an interview. Um, as I've mentioned already, using these types of questions can help reduce speculation and subjectivity. So again, it gets you closer to the data that you're looking for to make the best hiring decision. Anytime you're making fewer assumptions, this decreases the possibility of bias or gut reaction creeping into your decisions, and that's what we want. Imagine asking a candidate the question you see on your screen during an interview. So the question, or the question is, tell me about a time you faced the greatest difficulty and frustration because something didn't work out as you anticipated. Yeah, maybe you've actually used this question. It doesn't look like a bad question, does it? But let's think about what kind of response we would get. So this is a time where you might get a canned answer, something like, oh, well, when I was faced with a difficult situation, I, oh, what do I do? I try to gather as much information as possible. I stay calm, I analyze it, it's a learning opportunity, and I mean, I could go on and on about things that people might say to this kind of, respond to this kind of question. But let's think for a minute and let's be careful because if this happens during an interview, it can be very difficult to get relevant examples to use in your assessment of the candidate's skills, knowledge, abilities. So always remember, and this hopefully this is just a reminder, address the hypothetical with follow-up probing questions. And that's what you see here on the screen. Like, what was the situation? Why was it difficult or frustrating? How did you react to the frustration? What did you do to resolve the situation? How did things turn out? And hopefully the improved results of asking these questions is clear. Behavioral questions are used for a reason. It's not just a fad and ultimately inform us of our candidate's ability to perform in the role that we need them for. We want to know about the situation. We want them to describe their behavior and we need to know the impact. That's how we can assess their candidacy. If you have any ideas for what types of SBI question examples you could use, you can take time to take notes on these on your action sheet. Great, so I've mentioned a lot of do's and don'ts, but let's take a minute and look through the materials that we have to support your work in these areas. So on screen here, you see several materials that support your selection and hiring efforts. The materials go into the topics that I've already mentioned and were created here at the U with all of you in mind. So the materials are, there's a quick guide to analyzing the needs of the position, 
There's an analyzing the needs of the position worksheet. So if you're in the process of thinking about posting a position, this would be a great place to start. There's also a quick guide to preparing for an interview, an interview guide, and an interview template. So if you're thinking back to those behavioral questions, like what, what are they, how do I use them, what might, what might they look like, which questions might I want to use, that would be a great place to start too. And then of course there's a quick guide to making a hiring decision. So if you're in that stage of the process where you're looking and evaluating your candidates, this would be a great, this would be a great quick guide to review. These are also linked on your action sheet. And you can find all of these documents in Module 7. You can see it there at the top of your screen. In Module 7 is Selection and Hiring, and that's found on supervising.umn.edu. At this point, I'm, gonna, I'm sure you have a ton of questions. Please keep entering those into the Q&A uh, panel, and we'll look for those in a, uh, in a little bit. I'm, at this point, I'm going to hand it over to Amanda, who's here as a guest speaker, thank you, Amanda, to talk with us about onboarding. Thank you, Emily. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back as a guest speaker. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about onboarding. And let's just make sure that we all have an understanding of what onboarding is or our definition of it. So after an employee accepts a job and prior to them starting, onboarding is the process of transforming them into a fully functioning member of your team. It starts with an intentionally thought out plan for the transition and then tailoring it for the specific level and position of the new employee. And the goal is, and always should be, to sustain their excitement and their engagement and shorten the time for them to become productive. So let's take a look at what works for onboarding. Remember that you can also take notes on this on your action sheet. Take notes about which practices you could implement the next time that you have a new hire. And as, as I was observing the chat, I was seeing that a lot of people are there. They have a new hire that's starting tomorrow or starting next week. So think about this. The first step is really to plan early. So we'll show you some elements of the onboarding plan in a little bit, but it's always a good idea to start planning early. So this way you won't be in a rush and you'll have time to make sure your employee has everything they need for a great start. If you're thinking to yourself, oh, I, I'm onboarding someone tomorrow and I really didn't plan early enough. That's okay. Just Think about what you can do for tomorrow to make it a great start for the person. The next thing that you can do that works is distributing the onboarding process over time. So not to overwhelm the employee on day one. Think about what do they really need to know on that very first day? What do they need to know in the first week? And then what do they need to know in the first month? So if you can break it down that way, it'll help spread it out. If you have a large team, who are the immediate team members? Make sure to introduce them to the new employee first. Then you can schedule introductions with the other key partners and stakeholders at a later time. Think also about how your team can help. Is there someone who can show the new hire how to do something, a process? Is there a go-to person for a specific question? Make sure to share about the culture. The University of Minnesota has its own unique culture but we know it doesn't stop there. Specific departments, colleges, units, and even teams, we all have our unique culture that is shaped by our function and also by how people go about their work. Culture could be also as simple as where do people go to lunch? Where do people have lunch together? Another crucial thing you could do right away is schedule regular check-ins, which are one of the best ways to keep in touch, manage performance, and coach employees. If you've attended any of our previous webinars, you probably heard a lot about the importance 
of having these regular conversations. And you can also use these, these conversations to establish annual goals and check in on progress. Finally, as a new person starts, develop a learning plan and discuss it with the employee. This way they can better prioritize their time and then they can have a plan of how they would be progressing through the learning. So the next step then, so we talked about what works, well, what doesn't work then? So again, continue to take notes on your thoughts on your action sheet. So obviously what doesn't work is not having a plan at all. Um, hopefully you've not been there, you walk into a new job and you have nothing to do. You have no desk, you have no telephone, whatever. Um, just think about having a plan and you're on the right track. Also, what doesn't work is trying to cram as much as you can on, on that first day. Again, we kind of talked about that already with just trying not to overwhelm people. What do they really just need to know that first day? Using orientation as onboarding is also something that doesn't work. Now, orientation is very important, but it's, an, it's just an event and it's actually short-lived and it focuses mostly on logistics, rules, and information. So the key thing to remember is that while orientation is very important, it's not enough to effectively onboard somebody. Because onboarding, on the other hand, is a process. And it's set up to cultivate long-term relationships, promote an understanding of the organizational culture, and also foster a sense of belonging. And as a process, onboarding can take anywhere from six months to a year to complete, and that depends on the job. This is especially important with jobs that are cyclical. For example, someone who starts in September, but until graduation rolls around in May, they don't really have the full picture of the position. It's also important not to make assumptions. Oftentimes, having worked in a place for a while, we forget what it's like to be new. I've been at the university for 13 years, and so we can, we can easily forget what it's like to be new or what it's like to not know something. So this applies for internal hires as well. Think about what they might not know. Are there any acronyms that they need to be aware of? Any unspoken rules to know about? And then finally, it's very important to adjust your onboarding process for the individual. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It depends on many factors, such as employee position, their experience, their skill level, and other factors as well. So before we move on, we have a short activity for you. You're going to listen to two different people's thought processes throughout a new hire's first year. So as you listen to these thoughts, they're gonna be read by Emily and myself, type your observations in the chat. So in other words, what do you notice that's different between the thoughts that you're hearing? So we'll start with that offer stage. So here again are what these two people are thinking. Capture what you notice in the chat. All right, we're at the offer point. Is the paperwork in order? How can I get them up to speed as quickly as possible? Hmm, I have an offer. Is this the right job and company for me? Is the start date confirmed? Are the tools, technology, and timelines in place for the first few weeks? Has a welcome email been sent with the first day's agenda? Oh, I wonder what my new job will really involve. I wonder what my new manager and coworkers are really like. I wonder what will happen on the first day. Well, I sure hope we're making a good impression. Does the new hire have what they need to do on the job, including 
all the right resources like building access, their desk, people they can contact. Do I understand what's expected of me? What my role involves? Do I know who to talk to if there's an issue? Does my supervisor care about me? <laughs> well, now that it's been 30 days, is the new hire settling in okay? Are there still issues that need to be addressed? Am I starting to actively contribute to the team? Hmm. Do I know where to go with any unresolved issues? Well, has the new hire been contributing in these past two to three months? How can I do better in my job? How can I make this role mine? Is the new hire, who's really not so new anymore, an engaged and productive employee? Have we discussed performance, career goals, and opportunities? Am I doing my best every day? Do I love my job? Can I see myself here for another year, two years or more? Well, can I keep learning? Can I keep growing? All right, so I'm taking a look at the chat now and I'm just gonna read off a couple of things here. At the applicant is thinking about the culture and interpersonal issue. Manager's thinking more about details. That's good. Uh, the person that's hiring is really focused on the tasks where the person being hired is more focused on the culture and the fitting in. That's good too. Onboarding checklist for the manager may be a good idea. I like that. Yeah, two-way conversation, two-way, a two-way street. Communication. Sometimes the voices talk past each other. So yeah, really good feedback on our little activity that we provided for you. So thank you for that. So just as you were noticing, um, the first voice is really what you might hear or what a manager or supervisor might be thinking from their point of view. And then Emily's voice, of course, was the employee's point of view, focused more on that culture, the interpersonal, did I make the right decision? So um, this supervisor in this situation was focused on paperwork, the resources, the logistics, and while the, while the paperwork and setting up and aligning resources are very important, they're only really a small part of the onboarding process. And the employee was, again, focused on getting to know the workplace, the team, the culture, and being effective at their role. So an effective onboarding process should be designed around the employee's point of view. So think about that. And while activities around welcoming and informing, again, you you feel like you want to cram all this information in on day one. The welcoming and informing are very important, but a study showed that guiding employees through onboarding is the piece that employees value the most. So being guided through the onboarding. So to become a really productive member of the team, your new hire needs to learn both explicit rules your team operates by, but also the unwritten rules as well. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. So what are the unwritten rules? Consider these self-reflection questions and remember to jot down your ideas about culture in your department or unit on your action sheet. So some of the unwritten rules you can discover by asking yourself, what do people pay attention to? How do people respond when something goes wrong? Is there a lot of reactive blaming or is there some proactive, what can we do better for the future conversations happening? Are employees encouraged to take risks or do they play it safe? How are the resources allocated? Who are the most respected leaders and what behaviors do they demonstrate? And how are employee contributions recognized? 
So answering these questions can help you assess the culture of your department, college, or unit. There is not a one-size-fits-all because it depends on many factors, but for the onboarding process to be effective, the important thing is to not just let employees run into culture. Make sure to share both the positive and the challenging aspects of working in the environment that they'll be in. We have the organizational culture and onboarding quick guide that goes into more detail on this, but let's bring it all together on the next slide. So to sum up, effective onboarding plans address the following elements. Communication, so a lot of you in the chat were noticing the, the difference in communication and the thought processes. So this really starts with that first email or that point of contact uh, way before they even step in the door for their first day. Resources, making sure that they have what they need to do their work, any compliance considerations, organizational culture, or of course the rules, both spoken and implicit that your team operates by, what are the expectations or goals, and then of course relationships. So connecting new employees with other team members and stakeholders that they need to know or may need to work with frequently or not to be successful in their role. So we've touched on much of this content briefly today, but I wanna make sure that you check out these key resources. So included on the Supervisory Development Course website, there's an onboarding worksheet tool. The six plan elements that I just walked through are listed along with corresponding questions to consider when building and tailoring an onboarding plan. I also mentioned the Organizational Culture and Onboarding Quick Guide, which goes into more detail about these six elements. And then the New Employee Conversation Guide. This encourages new employees to ask questions of you as a supervisor, of their peers, and also questions of themselves to get at their experience and how are they moving along in their onboarding. It also contains recommended to-dos and timelines, and we would have you consider sharing this guide with your new employee even before they start, and then incorporating some of the topics into your regular check-in conversations. The conversation guide starts with even before they begin, and then it goes all the way up to the first year with tips. So it's a really good resource. These are also linked on your action sheet. And with that, I'm gonna turn it back over to Emily. Thanks, Amanda. That was great. Great to have you back. Thank you. So you might be wondering, those of you that are listening, you might be wondering, okay, so what can I do? I mean, I, depending on where you are in the process of onboarding or hiring, you might be thinking about what, what you can do. So at this point, we're gonna hear from our experts, our local experts, Katie and Molly. Thank you so much for joining us. We're super happy to have you here. Glad to be here. Yeah, great. They're gonna talk a little bit more about their experiences in School of Dentistry and how their HR department has helped to improve their onboarding process. So if you're in a college or department that doesn't have a supported onboarding process at this point, I still encourage you to listen and think about what small steps you can take to improve your onboarding process in some way. As you're listening, feel free to submit any questions, of course, that you have in the Q&A so we can address whatever you're wondering about. You can also jot down notes on your action sheet. Great, so with that, let's get to uh, hearing from you guys. So first, if you would please um, tell us a little bit about, you know, about your work and about your unit. Sure. So over at the School of Dentistry, we have about 600 employees and 250 faculty. Um, to support all those employees, we have five HR team members, and we use the HR business partner model. So we have each individual team member supporting those major departments. 
Um, as for our onboarding process, um, each HR partner will handle the hiring process up until first day. Um, and then from there, I'll take over, I'll host orientation every other Monday. Um, and then after that, we kind of let the new employees go to their supervisors and then they take over from there. Um, as far as our program, we've had, we have about five employees per month join the School of Dentistry. Um, so kind of small, but um, since we started this program in January of 2018, we've onboarded about 70 employees, a little bit more than that. So great. Thanks. Great. So that's a nice overview for us. Um, so I know that you've been working hard to on to, to work on the onboarding and orientation uh, process in your department, in your in your college. Could you tell us about what it used to look like and why you decided to overhaul it? Because I think that's something that would resonate pretty pretty uh, highly with our audience, you know, thinking about what are the things that we're looking for when we think, you know, do we need to uh, revamp? Definitely. Um, before we revamped everything, it was very much on the own HR partner's plate to take care of the onboarding process, so everyone had their different ways of doing things. Um, because of that, it was a little chaotic, a little mm -hmm. disorganized. Um, each HR partner would spend a lot of time working with our supervisors to say, who's going to do this? Do we have this paperwork ready to go? Um, just kind of triaging what was going to happen before the employee got there. Um, since they spent so much time kind of figuring out who was doing what, that left a less time for mm -hmm. them to focus on the employee experience when they first started. Um, yeah, so employees would kind of get there and not necessarily know exactly where to go, or it was just a lot of back and forth with employees and the supervisors and the HR partner. Um, so that was kind of what had us reconsider the process and redo things. That confusion? Yeah, and the confusion. It also sounds like you, it was very much kind of what Amanda just mentioned about very much of that employer perspective mm -hmm. to that onboarding and orientation rather than giving a little bit of space for, to, to, to put the to put yourselves in the or to put your supervisors in the shoe of of what the employee of what the employee is going through that first day definitely definitely I think we were hearing from supervisors and um, our hiring ma hiring managers that there was a lot of opportunity for us to support them better in the process mm -hmm. so being really responsive to what their needs were and that as Katie was saying the role clarification really eased the process or the implementation of a successful orientation program so that the supervisors understood what we were going to be doing for them and how we were going to be supporting them so that they could focus on the the other onboarding pieces too so that, thank you for saying that that seems like a really important clarification you know mm -hmm. not, maybe the maybe people are already doing work in orientation and onboarding mm -hmm. but they're not the roles aren't clarified so there's a lot of uh, chaos, confusion, just extra work put into, you know, kind of clarifying it every time someone's hired. Mm -hmm. So, and I know that you guys standardized your your work in, mm -hmm. in SOD, like you said. So I'm curious too, and I know because we've talked about this, but I'm curious about how, um, did any of the SDC onboarding materials assist, I'm not just trying to pitch SDC materials, <laughs> I really do, I really am curious because we work hard to create the materials and to make them useful. W were there any materials that were especially useful and if so, how did you use them? Yeah, we used supervising.umn.edu a lot oh, when cool. we first started yeah, planning great. things. Um, personally, I used it to just kind of wrap my head around the whole process and mm -hmm. get a handle on things, um, but we also found one of the webinars and we invited a group of supervisors to come view it with us and we all watched it and then had some discussion afterwards to respond and kind of find out what's important to us and what we wanted to include in our future onboarding. 
to clarify, that yeah. was probably the onboarding webinar? The, yes. yes. That's the one yes. you're referring to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. And we had a checklist in process, mm -hmm. so we had imagined what our needs were in like a real iterative process with the hiring managers letting us know how we could be helpful, what they should probably be handling and what we could be handling. And so having that checklist in front of us and then comparing it with some of the suggestions and resources mm -hmm. from STC was really mm -hmm. helpful to say, now what should we incorporate? Because we weren't necessarily, the goal wasn't to incorporate everything, but to tailor it to our needs so that we could scale up and scale down depending on how busy we were. That sounds great. Okay, so they were, it sounds like they were a resource for you, both to kind of introduce yourself or kind of refresh the topics, mm -hmm. but then also align what you already have with best practices, which are presented in the materials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Great. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Yes, <laughs> yes of course. I'm glad to hear that. I think the focus on the culture pieces, too, was a real uh, good reminder to us to make sure that that was happening, because we can sometimes think about the logistics of making mm -hmm. sure the trainings are happening and the paperwork's happening. But all those questions, the kind of in your in your scenario earlier, mm -hmm. the, the voice in the employee's head, how can we be really empathetic and think about and remind ourselves what it's like to be an employee on the first day especially at the university where the system is so large and it can be really intimidating. So we have little innovations built in, like um, we pay for parking on the first day and just tell them where to park. So we just take that stressor off. And then as we're going through the logistics of the, you know, in the first, um, first day orientation, we can cover some, some of those topics more in depth. Sounds great. I'm sure your new employees really, really appreciate that because it can be very intimidating. Yes. Mm -hmm. that, that, just that little piece of the first day can be very mm -hmm. intimidating. So I'm curious, um, so you've talked about, about kind of this new, new, newly revamped approach to orientation and onboarding. What feedback have you gotten, or, in your, or from an HR perspective or from a supervisor perspective, what do you think has been the most helpful for new employees? And you've mentioned a few things already, mm -hmm. but kind of thinking about through that employee lens, which pieces of what you've described so far do you think have been most helpful to an employee? Well, I think communication is really important. I send out um, a lot of emails and we are very communicative with new employees before they start. Um, so they know exactly where to be on their first day. They know that they're coming to orientation. So they have some time to just settle in and relax and not have to worry about actually getting to their workspace and setting things up yet. Um, and you know, just very structured, very step-by-step -step for the first day and they just can relax. And I think being intentional with those culture questions, ask about where do people have lunch and what's the attire and how do I ask for time off and just some of those mm. other norms that might be very specific to that supervisor and their team I think is helpful just to be really explicit and intentional with on the first day so people are thinking about that mm -hmm. as a recipe for success. Right, because mm -hmm. I think, um, I mean, I would imagine new employees don't always feel comfortable in asking. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. sort of think, well, I, because there's, there's a lot at stake on that first day. You're trying to make a good impression. You're trying to remember everything that people are talking about, you know, teaching you about. So you're not always thinking about, oh, I feel, might feel awkward asking, like, where, mm -hmm. where's the closest coffee shop? Or where, you know, just little questions that come up that kind of mm -hmm. make a first day more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Katie, I know we've talked about this before, and Molly, you just mentioned this mm -hmm. too, but I, I remember you mentioning that you do very deliberately and intentionally do a culture piece mm -hmm. during that orientation. Could you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I do about a half an hour long presentation just on the School of Dentistry. I talk about our mission, our values, um, our goals, and then just what our building looks like. So uh -huh. all the different departments and how they kind of interact with each other. Um, and then I wrap up with the culture piece. So kind of saying um, that a lot of our employees have been at the School of Dentistry for quite some time, for a couple years. Um, so they really have a lot of stored knowledge. And I really encourage our new employees to 
not be afraid to ask. Anything that comes to mind, ask somebody, whether it's their team member or a supervisor or someone in another department, um, to just address those head on. That seems like a great piece of knowledge to impart because again, it's kind of giving them permission to say, you know, you don't have to pretend like you know things, mm -hmm. you remember everything or know everything on the first day, but rather come in and, and use us because like you said, there are many veteran people working here that you can, that know a lot yeah. that can be shared. Yeah. Super interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. So my next question then is kind of the flip side, which is, you know, through this revamped process and this more structured, organized approach that you're taking to orientation and onboarding, what do you think has been the most helpful for supervisors? You know, through mm -hmm. the supervisor lens, how has this, what have you heard or what have you seen? You know, how has this benefited or helped or supported them in some way? I think having more organization to the process really helps. Um, it takes away that kind of back and forth that I was talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah. Um, and then having new employees come to that orientation on the first morning really gives supervisors time to make sure they have everything ready to go. Tech is set up, um, training set up, making sure that other employees on the team are ready to kind of meet the new employee and get used to them and start forming those relationships. Um, I would also say that we do stay interviews at the three-month mark for new employees. A stay um, interview? A stay interview, Could you yes. talk a little bit about that for anyone who maybe is not familiar yes, with the term? definitely. Um, so stay interviews are just interviews that talk to the new employee and really get at why are they choosing to stay with us? Um, what about the job are they enjoying? What's going well? And then also too, we ask if anything isn't going well so that we can kind of um, get in front of that if we need to make any changes. It's a great um, chance to see if their expectations were met mm -hmm. and if we're giving them a good preview of what the job's like, what the mm -hmm. working for the university is like. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we can, it's like iterative. We can keep adjusting mm -hmm. and adapting and address any concerns. Yeah, I was going to say, you call it an interview, a state interview, so I assume you have a list of questions that you'd like to ask, but is it also an opportunity for them to ask you? Yes. Is it like a, a two-way interview, or is it? It's mainly one way, um, but I definitely do try and address any questions that they have for me. Um, if I have any resources to share, or if I can let them know who a good contact would be for a certain comment, um, I definitely leave it open-ended where I can. Great. We have some managers that ask if they can do the stay interview, and of course that's an option too. So yes. it's, it's kind of just yes. a preference for the supervisor, whether they want to give them access to Katie to tell them how they're really feeling, or if they mm -hmm. want to um, reach out and show that caring um, action mm -hmm. of asking how things are going and being very intentional with that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. I like a great tool just to use for both them, giving them permission mm -hmm. to ask those questions again, maybe just being heard in terms of how they're responding to your answers. Yeah. Yeah. But also uh, validation, like, hey, we're, we're glad you're staying, that right. sort of thing. Right. And, and that's part of the relationship piece, I think, mm -hmm. that we talk about so much. Mm -hmm. Great. So just a couple more questions I have that I think um, will help us understand your experiences. Um, what challenges are supervisors still running into? You know, so you've done some work, you've reorganized, restructured put some intentional thought into what it's going to look like from both the supervisor and the employee perspective, but what, you know, we know nothing's easy. So mm -hmm. what, what challenges are supervisors still running into in their orientation or onboarding? Mm -hmm. um, time is definitely the biggest challenge for our supervisors. <laughs> they are, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, they're working supervisors, so they have their supervisory duties and then they also have their daily um, responsibilities and they work really hard to balance both of those, but sometimes you have to make tough choices. Um, so we do hear from supervisors that them, they have to make those tough choices on okay. um, what to kind of wait on um, okay. while onboarding a new employee. 
And I hope the message is waiting is okay yes. for so right. many things. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. onboarding is a, a process. It's not a one-day thing. It's mm-hmm. a six-month yeah. or nine-month or 12-month process. Exactly. So it's okay to wait. Yeah. I liked how exactly. Amanda framed it with distributed and over time, and that doesn't yeah. have to happen all in one day. Yeah, but, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Great. And if that's, by the way, audience members, if that's your biggest takeaway today, we, we call it a success. Yes. <laughs> Seriously, because we do want people, supervisors, we know you're busy but we do want, you know, we do want it to be kind of common shared knowledge that onboarding doesn't happen over a, over one day. And from again, our materials. If you look into our materials, we'll talk more about that there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've talked about the orientation. I was wondering too, again for our audience, in your opinion, mm-hmm. um, and also from both from your experience, but also from what you've seen with your supervisors in your college or in your school, what do you think supervisors should do for onboarding to pick up where your orientation leaves off. So after you've oriented them to the school mm-hmm. and maybe to campus, to the U here, um, and talked about other important details, what is it you think supervisors should do kind of at that at that touch point? Um, I think spending time with employees as much as they can. Okay. We really recommend taking new employees out for lunch right after orientation because it gets done at 1130. It seems like a good kind of break in the day. Um, but just getting started on building those relationships and making sure that the new employee knows where everything is, who to go to, um, anything that'll help them get settled in as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Great. And I would say that no matter what size organization, no matter how frequently you hire, so sometimes we have supervisors who are hiring every month and we have supervisors who hire once a year. I think yeah. if you were to scale something, the core would just be make sure you're finding ways to ask employees how it's going and mm-hmm. that their needs are being met, whether that's before the first day, on the first day, or after. If you're mm-hmm. if you're just in touch, and it, it says a lot about the culture, and it's also very effective just to ask them how, how the work's going and whether they need anything. I, that seems like common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yet, we know people don't always do it. Supervisors don't always maybe remember or feel comfortable. And I, again, I Or assume this, the employee will say something if there's an issue. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to kind of level set, even with that small bit, just to kind of say, you know, if you're not doing it, or, or you could always do more. You could always do more. Always do more. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I think, Katie, this goes back to that, like taking a new employee out to lunch. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. We'll take you out to lunch. We'll make you feel special, like on that one day, right? Mm-hmm. But then, do you ever check back in that casual way? Not always. Maybe not always on the in the one-on-one check-ins you're having, mm-hmm. but even in a in the morning or any other time during the day or whenever mm-hmm. your paths cross. It's. And I remember you guys saying earlier, you know, you can't work on those relationships enough. Like it's mm-hmm. it, that communication and that feeling like your supervisors care about you or are invested about in you in some way really can mm-hmm. go a long way in making someone want to stay here than you. Yeah, it's, it's contagious by HR being supportive of supervisors and supervisors being employed and supportive of their employees. It kind of creates this expectation that we're a supportive environment. Mm-hmm. That definitely sounds like a best practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so great. Thanks, you guys. I'm sure there's a ton of questions coming in from our audience. So if you do have questions, anything, whether it's specific or general, feel free to post those into the Q&A. We'll get to those in just a minute. But um, before we finish our official panel, I would like to ask you kind of for a um, kind of a final thought. Mm-hmm. So, what's one piece of advice you have for supervisors who are thinking about wanting to improve their onboarding process, whether regardless of what their department or unit or college looks like? What's one piece of advice you have for them in order for like maybe where to start or what what they need to be thinking about? Because mm-hmm. it's an overwhelming process. If there's is. so many moving parts, there are. Yeah. But there's always a place to start or something to kind of frame your approach. Mm -hmm. Do you have any final pieces of advice? 
Yeah. Um, I would say get organized is probably the most kind of map out what you need to have and what you want to have and just kind of prioritize, prioritize based on what you need. Um, that's kind of the approach that I took, so I think it works. So organize and prioritize yeah. what it is you need. Okay, yeah. that mm-hmm. sounds like great advice. Molly, what do you think? I would say um, anticipate the needs of your employee. So if if you want to take that empathetic approach of thinking about what it was like to be a new employee, if it's been 13 years or 10 years, ask a recent employee, what was it like? What do you wish had been different? What could we be doing more of? Just get in touch with like, or close that empathy gap and under, and um, just think about, anticipate those needs because it signals so much like intention and caring and competency, frankly, if you are being very intentional with anticipating people's needs. Great, great, Sound great, great advice. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at this point we're gonna move into the Q&A. And now that we've talked to Katie and Molly, it's clear that their School of Dentistry onboarding process is anchored in this kind of organized orientation from HR. And we know a lot of you may not have this type of HR support, but if you want to improve your onboarding process, the things you should focus on are talking to, you know, approaching your HR lead to talk about what orientation already exists. And I think this goes back to the organized piece that Katie talked about. And then asking around to see what other supervisors do for their orientation and then their subsequent onboarding. So, great. So hopefully that was useful um, and you've got lots of questions for us. So at this point, it looks like we've got mm-hmm. about five or six minutes for some Q&A, so we'll move on to those now. And again, it's Amanda and I, Katie and Molly are all here to answer your questions. So I'll take, um, I think the one that's in my queue is, um, do we have examples of stay interviews? Definitely think of Katie as the resource. (laughs) If you'd like to see some examples, like her 10 um, stay interview questions, but off the cuff, um, I can tell you that we have three questions that we're using as a benchmark of whether we're creating a respectful, welcoming environment that's inclusive. And so some of those questions around, do you feel respected? Do you feel like your contributions matter? Um, and how do you know um, that you're, um, you're a valued employee? Mm-hmm. So I, I think yeah. I muddled those a little bit, but we are using three questions through our exit interviews, our stay interviews, just to set the expectation of what we want to be as an organization. Yeah, and as far as the other questions go, um, we ask things like, what do you look forward to most when you come to work? Um, What are some challenges? What can your manager do to best support you? Um, What are you learning here and what do you want to learn? And then any kind of development opportunities um, and then just very to the point, um, why do you choose to stay here? So those are just a couple examples. Again, those seem like such kind of common sense questions, but I wonder, you know, are we ever asking people that? We might be asking them, how's your project, or something else about the details, but are we ever asking them, like, what is it you look forward to when you you come to work? We say that we should be recruiting our employees every day, and if you think about it, you're making like a micro decision every day whether this is a good place to go or not, and whether you should be looking or whether you should be staying. So um, I think that's a real psychological um, reality that we need to be in touch with, that people are choosing us every day and we want them to be. Great. I see some other uh, kind of more detail-oriented questions about kind of what you guys were talking about, if you'd be willing to take any of those. That's an yeah, interesting one. Any ones that you're, that you're prepared mm-hmm. to respond or to? Yeah, um, yeah I mm-hmm. see one that is asking, um, do you try to have all new employees start on the same day or are they all on different days throughout the month? Um, we will start, we'll have orientation scheduled every other Monday. It's at the start of the pay period, um, just to keep things easy. We try to encourage supervisors to start their new employees on that date, um, but if 
it doesn't work out or if there's a conflict or anything, um, we'll usually just have them have the new employee come up on their first day to HR and take care of I-9 and some paperwork. And then we'll just invite them to the next session whenever that might be. And we do have um, employees who've been with us for years that want to participate in the new employee orientation. They'll say, we didn't get that when we started. And so um, people are really moved by just the experience of taking some time out and learning about our mission and vision. Yeah, yeah, anyone is welcome to come. So That's nice. Yeah, yeah. That speaks a lot to its value, too, its perceived value, mm-hmm. not just by new employees who don't really know any different, but also those employees who have been here for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's nice. I'd say that's, that's definitely a credit to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I also see one about giving more specific examples of onboarding successes or challenges. Um, I would say for challenges, um, I think training could be kind of a large challenge. We do have different kind of areas of training. So we'll have our clinical trainings, we'll have financial trainings, um, and then some of the more advanced training. And I do try to have everybody get their clinical training done during that orientation, but we don't have anything in place for financial training. And that can kind of be really confusing um, if you're new to the financial training courses here at the U. Um, So I would say that's still an ongoing challenge, just figuring out how to best convey that information for all of our new employees. Great, thanks. And I also see some other questions here that are a little bit more generalized that I think Amanda or I could address. Yeah, the one about hiring for a number of positions that will be remote working in greater Minnesota. Are there resources or best practices for that situation? Excuse me. So I would say whenever possible, is there any way that you could have the person or the people come on site for right away. I know it's a cost, but if you think about mm-hmm. if onboarding doesn't go well, then they might leave and then you've got the, the cost of the turnover. So if at all possible, try to have something in person to make those connections, make those relationships. And if that's not possible, try to use technology. Can you do a Google meeting? I think is what it's called now. They keep mm-hmm. changing it. But just try to make that human interaction if at all possible. And then of course, just being really planful and just making communication your number one with anybody who's gonna be working remotely. I wanna emphasize what you're saying, Amanda, too, that um, it's great to be really process oriented and organized and have a lot of things in place, but you can't make it not high touch. I used a double negative, I think, but it's a high touch process and that human contact, I mean, it communicates caring, but it's, it's just so important to really cement in people's mind that they made the right choice because we're excited they're here and we're taking time out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone is looking for that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good way to foster that. Yeah, well said. Yeah. I think we have time for one more question. Um, so the question about um, someone is developing a more defined onboarding process, which is fabulous. We are developing a RACI chart. So RACI mm-hmm. standing for a responsible, accountable, contributing, and informative. Do you have a similar chart or process? So I would say in our onboarding worksheet, there's a placeholder for who's responsible for which step, Uh, but it might be a good idea to take that to the next level. We have some additional resources in the leading teams module, module four of supervisory development course with some tips, not necessarily for onboarding, but for how to, you know, divide up the, the task roles or responsibilities. Um, so definitely take a look at our worksheet and then look in our leading teams. But you may just want to take your RACI chart to the next level, too. 
Great. Thanks, everyone. And thank you, everyone, for your thanks for your responses. And also, thanks for your questions. We really value these because it lets us know kind of where you are and what you're thinking about as you're listening to a lot of this content. So we've introduced a lot of ideas today. Um, hopefully, there's something that was useful for you or important. So we'd like you to take a minute to reflect on what you've heard today about hiring, selection hiring and onboarding. In other words, what's important for you? And that's the question here on the slide. What's one thing you've learned? Uh, please go to your action sheet and you can jot down your ideas now or later in the space provided. You can also share your ideas in the chat. That's also a great way for you to share what you're thinking with other uh, participants and also, again, for us to see your ideas as well. Um, if you, you've already indicated what's important for you and what your takeaway from today is, hopefully, or maybe it's something that you're still thinking about, but there are two more questions and you'll see those on your action sheet. If you would take a couple minutes, again, you can do it now or later, to reflect on those questions. The first one, what can you realize and achieve based on what you've learned? So this is kind of getting into the action piece. And then, of course, how will you implement it? What will your first step be? I think that's really important for a, something, if you're thinking about improving or revamping or just even thinking about a different approach to your onboarding process or your selection and hiring process, this is really important because it's a, it can be very overwhelming. So breaking it down into steps can be very helpful. It could be a step that seems small or not even especially significant, like just going to your HR lead and asking them about what onboarding or orientation processes are already supported. Um, but the key is to start somewhere and then commit to practicing that skill of onboarding as part of the selection and hiring process. So again, you can jot down your ideas now on your action sheet. You can also, of course, take a few minutes after this webinar to continue this if you don't have enough time right now. Another quick announcement, we've created a webinar library, so all of the recordings of the past webinars are available on one convenient page, and it's beautiful, so definitely check it out. Also, each webinar recording page has the Training Hub completion option, yes, even for the recording. You can get your completion for watching the recording. So exciting. <laughs> an action sheet, a podcast option, and all of the relevant resources linked from within that page. And finally, we were going through this content rather quickly, so to learn more, you can explore the Supervisory Development website at supervising.umn.edu, where we have quick guides and other resources that you can download or view for your reference. We reference multiple quick guides that you can find there anytime, as well as a recording of this webinar. And the webinar recording will be available next week on the webinars page, the new and improved fabulous page we just talked about, and you will receive an email with a link to the recording. Thank you everyone for joining us and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore resources mentioned in the podcast by going to supervising.umn.edu. The Supervisory Development Course podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions regarding supervisory development, please email us at ltd.umn.edu. At